Daniel chapter 1, where we left off in verse 7. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who has appointed your food and drink For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for those, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus... Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Many of you grew up with Sunday school stories. There is an old Sunday school rhyme. Some of you know it. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. The children of Israel find themselves in Babylon in captivity, in bondage, with all the pressures associated with living in a culture and living in a climate that is hostile to God and hostile to the promises of God. You don't have to live here long to understand something that Babylon in the Bible becomes a type and a picture of the world And the world that stands in opposition to God. And so, by very nature, we live in Babylon. We live in a pressure cooker that views Christians and Christianity as nothing more than odd, tasteless morsels. 
some citizens of Babylon, in the interest of religious diversity and historical curiosity, appreciate the moral and the cultural contributions Christians and Christianity have made over the years. But make no mistake about it, we live in a world that rejects the Bible and rejects Jesus and refuses to take the gospel seriously. We live in Babylon, where the citizens of Babylon and the citizens of Jerusalem do not look substantially different. Tragically, all indicators seem to be that they don't substantially look different or act different. They watch the same television shows, listen to the same radio programs. They engage in all of the same kind of behavior. And the reality is when you dare to be a Daniel, you're almost always standing alone. And when you dare to have a purpose firm, like the little Sunday school song says, it will at first astonish your family and your friends and your neighbors. Then it will annoy them. And then the animosity will continue to build. Until the citizens of Babylon get downright mean and vicious and sometimes even vindictive. And now your little game no longer amuses them because you're a threat. There will come a time when each and every one of you is a threat to everyone in your family and everyone in your community and everyone in your neighbor. If you stand with God and if you stand with the Bible and if you stand with the promises of God and if you stand in the convictions that have been imparted to you by the word of God. Remember what we've already learned in the first chapter, we discovered the king of Babylon's plan, isolate the children, indoctrinate the children get them to compromise in little ways, and then get them to abandon their spiritual identity. So how will Daniel fight the pressure? How does the young Daniel deal with the threat of compromise? In the passage that we just read, we're going to examine Daniel's decision. Daniel will make a decision before God, and then he will keep his promise. And the next thing that we look at is Daniel's demeanor or his attitude in the midst of the problem. In the midst of the problem, he acts with humility and with modesty. And finally, we will look at Daniel's delight. I call this Daniel's expectation or Daniel's hope. The idea being that God will honor Daniel's desire to remain faithful to him. Look at verse 7 again. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now remember the chief eunuch has the responsibility, the charge over the household slaves and the household subjects in the Babylonian Empire. He will change their names. Now, remember what we've already said. Daniel means God is my judge. It's changed to Belteshazzar, which means Prince of Bel, or you can ring my bell. No, that that is not what it means. I don't even know why I said that. Hananiah, which means Jehovah favors. 
It's changed to Shadrach or inspired or illuminated, if you will, by the sun god. Mishael is a name which means who is like God or godlike. And it's changed to Meshach or who is like Shaq. And again, I don't mean the basketball player. Shaq was one of the Babylonian idols. Azariah, Jehovah helps, is changed to Abednego or the servant of Nego. Now, the name change is an attempt to honor four gods in the Babylonian pantheon. It's a satanic attempt to undermine, if you will, or to subsume the God of Israel. The chief god in Babylon was Bel. And then came the sun god, Shadrach. And then the earth god, Meshach. And then the fire god, Abednego. And so each of these pantheons, remember, one is a controlling factor, the chief god. The other is the god who orders the progress of the sun. The other who orders the progress of the earth. The other that orders the progress of fire. Now, remember, in the ancient world, when a master or a ruler exercised the prerogative of changing a person's name, he did so with the idea that he claims authority over them. In other words, when a master takes a slave and changes their name, it's their way of, of altering their identity and then changing their destiny. The reason why this becomes important, you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, remember, like I said, Babylon is a type and a picture of the world that stands in opposition to the true and living God. Babylon is not godless in the sense that it has no gods. We tend to think of, well, this is absurd. You know, people today don't worship the sun. People today don't worship the earth. People today don't worship fire. But you couldn't be more wrong. All you have to do is watch the History Channel or PBS for just one week. And there are people who devote their lives to the study of the universe. There are people who devote their lives to the study of the sun. There are people who devote their lives to astronomy, cosmology. There are people who devote their lives to geology. There are people who devote their lives to the study of global warming. There are people who devote their lives that the mechanisms of this universe, the mechanisms of the solar system, the mechanism of the geology of this earth is all that matters and all that is important. But again, nothing could be further from the truth. And again, when they're changing their name in order to change their identity and destiny, often that's exactly what Satan will do in our culture and our society. When you become a Christian, your name gets changed from sinner to saint. When you get changed by Jesus Christ, you get changed from drug abuser, alcohol abuser, wife abuser, to a person who was formerly those things. We live in a world where our idols are money and youth. Of course, I don't have to worry about youth anymore. Sex, power, fame, political correctness, whatever it is that you want to elevate and venerate. But the citizens of Babylon were no different from the citizens today. They took their energy, their emotion, their passions, and their ideals, and they devoted it to those things that they thought were most important. 
So how is Daniel going to maintain his godly citizenship? By making sure that his inner convictions stand in the pressure cooker of the outside tests and trials and temptations. Look again in verse 8. He is going to make a decision and a decision before God. Look at verse 8. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The first line of defense against compromise is an inner conviction. It's a willingness to stand firm. Now, here is the problem that most people have. Do you have an inner conviction about anything? Is there a willingness on your part to stand firm on anything? Or is there some conviction? Is there some core value that you embrace that is non-negotiable? For me, there are several. The Bible is true. Jesus Christ is Lord. He lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Today, I took all kinds of flack because I made the statement on my radio program, human beings are wicked. They are evil. They are sinners by nature and by choice. A lady called and she said, do you understand what you're saying? I know exactly what I'm saying. Don't you realize there might be unbelievers listening to your program and they're going to be offended? Are you seriously going to tell me that the way to reach the loss is to tell them that they're not lost? You see, when you remove the core value that human beings apart from Christ are lost, you have jettisoned evangelism and you have taken away the power of the gospel. Do you believe that a human being is a human being at the point of conception? Do you believe that the only difference between you and, and a child at the moment of conception is time and nutrition? Because unless you believe that, unless that informs your core value, it's going to be very difficult for you to proceed in any form or fashion. What are your deeply held convictions? You may believe that the Bible is true. You may believe sex outside of marriage is wrong. You may believe that God has spoken authoritatively on a number of different subjects. But are you willing to embrace those deeply held convictions and allow them to inform your thinking and your speaking and your living? Peter Marshall uh, who died many years ago, a former pastor and chaplain of the United States Senate, once prayed before the Senate, Lord, when we are wrong, make us willing to change. And when we are right, make us easy to live with. It's hard to be wrong. It's easy to be right. How can you be sure that your convictions will hold under pressure? In the Hebrew text, the passage reads, Daniel set upon his heart. That is, he placed on the top or on the surface of, of, if you will, of his being that he would not defile himself by eating the unclean food. That is, he placed upon his heart ahead of time. Here is the idea, in a sense, before the banquet, before the food was set before him, before 
this happens, he makes up his mind before he arrives at Nebuchadnezzar's all-you-can-eat buffet that he is not going to defile himself. The time to make the decision is not when the passions are high, when the hormones are raging through your veins like a tiny rubber raft that's thrown down a swollen river. The time to not eat the donuts is not when you're in the donut shop. You've all heard the story, remember, of the lady who prayed, Oh, Heavenly Father, if it's your will that I stop at this donut shop, just make a parking spot right in front of the donut shop. Just make it so clear, so unmistakably clear that I'm supposed to stop. And then she said, Thank you, Lord. I only had to circle the block four times before you answered my prayer. Now, we laugh at the ridiculousness of it. But the reality is, the time to make the decision that you're not going to compromise is before, not after. By the way, I want to ask you a hard question. Do you think it was easy to turn down the king's delicacies and refuse the king's wine? I don't know if you've ever experienced in your life a time of profound hunger, a time of profound deprivation where you had to go without, not just for hours and not just for days, but for weeks and for months. In my family, we grew up on welfare. In the 1960s, the United States government had a program called Commodities. And instead of food stamps, you could go and you could get this junk, like big gigantic Tins of spam and and all kinds of different things that were available, not fit for human consumption. And so the the real challenge was to make it livable, edible, if you will. And you've got to understand something that Daniel and his friends have been taken captive and they have been on a long, hard march. They've been removed from the palaces and they have been living on next to nothing. Make no mistake about it. I am going to suggest to you that it was very, very difficult to turn down the king's delicacies because you might be reading this passage and saying you don't understand how hard it is to resist temptation. You don't understand how hard it is to resist the drink or to resist the drug or to resist the, the website or to resist the pornography or to resist the illicit relationship. You don't understand the power that it has over me and, and the way that it affects my thinking and makes my heart race and it does this and it does that. Make no mistake about it. Temptation is difficult to refuse. By the way, is there some area in your life that's straining under the pressure of your inner conviction, the voice is whispering in your ear, that's wrong, that's not right. Please don't do this. This is wrong. Please don't do it. You know you were raised differently. This is not what you believe. This is not who you are. You, like Daniel, have to decide ahead of time before you get into the compromising situation. You, like Daniel, have to decide ahead of time that divorce is not an option, that sex outside of marriage is not an option. Disobedience to God is not an option. 
each morning of each day as you draw close to the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ, it is going to be incumbent upon you to live and to love and to reinforce those deeply held convictions, knowing that it's going to honor and please the Lord. And by the way, where in the world did Daniel find the foundation? Where did he find the foundation on which to build his convictions? I'm going to suggest to you that Daniel drew on the Bible studies and lessons that he learned from childhood. Perhaps Daniel was aware of the reformations of King Josiah. He was just a child. Daniel was just a child when they found the one and only copy of the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And there was a reformation, a revival that broke out. Prior to the captivity. Some of you learned the Bible early on. Some of you had the awesome privilege of being raised by a godly mom and a godly dad. Some of you had the awesome great privilege that you were able to go to Sunday school and Bible study from a very early age. Perhaps Daniel was aware certainly of the writings of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk. We're certain that he read from the law in Leviticus 11.44. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Daniel wasn't naive. He knew that the world was a dangerous place and an unclean place. And he determined that he was going to be holy and that he was going to be clean. And so he enters into a covenant, an agreement with God in the presence of God to turn away from his evil, to turn away from his sin, to turn away from sinful behavior in whatever form it presents itself. And by the way, there are only two characters in all of the Bible where there is no sinful circumstances, if you will, that are mentioned in their life. One is Joseph and the other one is Daniel. There are certain issues in the life of a child of God that cannot be negotiated or compromised. When I became a Christian, the Lord, by the power of His Holy Spirit, impressed upon me. The moment that I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, it's as if the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Guess what? Witchcraft isn't going to be a part of your life anymore. You can't read palms. You can't practice divination and tarot card reading. You're going to have to take your astrology books and your psychic phenomenon books and your spiritualist books. And you're going to have to take them and you're going to have to throw them away. And you're going to have to take that marijuana and you're going to have to flush it down the toilet. Oh my God, I played. I paid $10 for that lid. It's, remember, it's 1973. Marijuana was a lot cheaper back in those days. Now, it's pretty obvious about something like witchcraft. It's pretty obvious about something like smoking marijuana. But it's not so obvious in those other little circumstances of your life. When you walk with God and you walk with Christ. And Satan whispers in your ear, who would have thought that Satan would be such a champion of grace? What about grace? It doesn't really matter. Do what you want. Because in the end, it doesn't matter. Trust me, it really does matter. Sinclair Ferguson wrote, In many ways, his usefulness, speaking of Daniel, 
in the kingdom of God throughout the rest of the book depends on this single decision. Had he not made it, or even left it until later while he maneuvered for a position of bargaining strength, he would have found himself in the positions he later occupied. He would not have found himself in the positions he later occupied, nor would he have been faithful enough to cope with them as he did. Instead, from the beginning, in what others seemed a trivial matter, he nailed his colors to the mast. In so doing, he gained a bridgehead into enemy-occupied territory and found himself increasingly strong in the Lord, unquote. There comes a time when that's exactly what you have to do to declare for Jesus, to declare for Jesus. And you'll note that Daniel asks to be excused from the king's table. He asks to be excused from the king's provision. How wise for one so young. Daniel could have defied the supervisor. He could have initiated a hunger strike. He could have posted it on his blog. I am an observant Jew, and I'm not going to eat this trash. But you know what? Instead, he makes a passionate plea to remain clean. And you know what else he does? He even includes his immediate supervisor in the circumstances that he finds himself. You know what? Sometimes the decision to honor and obey God puts others at risk. I hope and pray it never happens to you. But there may come a point where your decision to honor God and obey God creates a hardship on your family. Richard Wormbrun went to prison for many, many years because he stayed true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are brothers and sisters who are experiencing imprisonment, not just on a daily basis, but on an hourly basis at this very moment in Vietnam, at this very moment in China, at this very moment in Korea, at this very moment in Somalia and East Africa, at this very moment Christians are being herded into prisons for no other reason than they love the Lord Jesus Christ and those who are being herded into prison have wives and children that they're leaving behind. Look at verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel found himself in a position of supernatural favor. In other words, God in his blessing and in his wisdom is placing Daniel in a circumstance of favor. And in verse 10 it says, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who is Nebuchadnezzar, who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. Do you understand what a supervisor is saying? You don't understand something. If you get sick and die, the king could kill me. In the book of Nehemiah, you'll remember that Nehemiah appears before King Cyrus. He's the cupbearer. And the king says to him, and he says, I, I was never, I never acted sick ever around the king, ever. And then one day I did. Because guess what? If you were a downer, if you were a bummer, the king doesn't like that. 
And when a king has complete power of life and death over you, it's probably a good idea to remain cheerful. The chief eunuch, in spite of the favor and in spite of the goodwill, is basically saying, look, I'm not willing to risk my own life for your Daniel's deeply held convictions. And is it possible that your boss, your husband, your wife, the people that you work with aren't going to honor your deeply held religious convictions? And I know what some of you are thinking, because some of you have been approached where the boss has said, look, I want you to lie, cheat or steal. I just want you to basically do whatever it takes to make the deal. And you've said, I, I can't do that. I'm not willing to lie, cheat, or steal. I'm not willing to commit crimes. Hey, I've got a great idea. If I can make not the same amount of money, but even more money by acting honestly, could we give that a try? <laughs> Usually the bottom line with the bosses, generate money. And so, look at Daniel's absolute wisdom and his modesty and his humility, his demeanor in verse 11. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in verse 12, please, please, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, please notice that Daniel doesn't allow his convictions to put his supervisor on the spot. He respects those who are in authority over him. And so when it says, so Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the units had said over Daniel, um, let's do this test and give us vegetables to eat. Don't let the word vegetables fool you. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking vegetables aren't so bad. I go to sweet tomatoes all the time. You go down the, you know, you've got three different kinds of lettuce and tomatoes. You've got cabbage and onions. You've got carrots. You've got turnips. You've got jicama. You, you know, vegetables, that's not so bad. I want to tell you something. The word used in the Hebrew language is the word for seeds. And it's the word that was used in the Hebrew language to describe plant food for cattle or animal food. This is more likely translated the same thing that you would feed a cow or a horse. Now, this is cereal grains, if you will, that you would mash into a type of porridge. Now, I know you like cream of wheat every once in a while. You like oatmeal every once in a while. But every day, day after day, every day, day after day, when you could be at the Great Wall of China with 350 different dishes, and you walk into the king's cafeteria, and you see sweet and sour pork. Oh, and you see the mushu and the mugu gai pan and the lo mein, ooh, combination. We know that shrimp and scallops aren't kosher, but oh man, I'm so hungry. But he doesn't. He basically says, look, let's put this to the test. 
And in 10 days, if we don't look better and brighter than anyone else, look what it says in verse 13. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. Look carefully at what Daniel does. This is going to shock you, surprise you, and annoy you. He leaves the final word with his supervisor. I know what some of you are thinking. I can't do that. I can't let this be up to my boss. I can't leave that kind of responsible decision in the hands of my husband. I can't leave that kind of decision in the hands of my wife. I can't leave that kind of decision because these people, you don't understand these people. These people don't have my best interest in mind. Read it for yourself again. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. Do you know what Daniel does? He genuinely, positively, absolutely expects God to honor his desire to honor him. It could very well be that God just gave all the rest of the kids a a severe case of acne. Can you imagine 2,000 years before Clarisel, all of a sudden they're eating this porridge for 10 days in a row, These people are eating at all-you-can-eat Nebuchadnezzar's buffet, and they break out in this greasy, slimy, sickening circumstance. They all get food poisoning, and there's Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, as bright as can be. This is interesting. How can Daniel take that risk? You know the answer, don't you? Jesus is the great example. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, it says, When he was reviled, he, speaking of Jesus, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously at every moment of every day in every circumstance of Christ's life. Did he trust his Father at every moment of every day? Yeah, that's the answer. Daniel's faith is in the Lord. He believes that God is going to honor his decision to remain pure. And Daniel's wisdom is based on the fact that Daniel believes in a sovereign God who orders the universe down to the last detail. Do you? I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way. I know that you sang the song, What Can Separate Me from the Love of God? But perhaps there's some horror, there's some pain, there's some pressure, there's some strain, and you whispered it. You were afraid to whisper it out loud, but you whispered to yourself, does God really love me? Does God really care? Is God really in control of my life? And is he really in control of my life down to the last detail? Look what it says in verse 14. So he That is, the eunuch consented with him in this matter, and he tested him the ten days. Verse 15, and at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Verse 16, thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Why wine? 
Again, it could very well be that Daniel says, I don't want any kind of drug or intoxicant that is in any way going to diminish my ability to think clearly and biblically for God. And look at verse 16. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Do you understand what's happening? In the end, the steward gets his way. Here's what I want from you, Daniel, and your friends. I want you to be the best looking and the brightest and the most effective that you can be. Isn't that exactly what God wants for you? To be the best that you can be? And I'm going to suggest something to you. That you will never be the best that you can be until you're willing to honor God at that most basic and most fundamental level in your thinking, in your speaking, in your living. And when you embrace those deeply held convictions that God has imparted to you, you will never be more effective. By the way, look what it says in verse 17. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Listen carefully. Daniel stands firm in his biblical convictions. He does so with modesty. He does so with humility. And you know what happens? God rewards Daniel and his friends. I know what some of you are thinking. If I stand firm... If I stand firm in my biblical convictions, does that mean that God will always reward me? You know what? I'd be lying to you if I said to you, if you purpose in your heart to always do what's right, that there might not be pain and there might not be suffering. There might be pain and there might be suffering. But guess what? Even in the midst of pain and even in the midst of sorrow and even in the midst of suffering, Peter is right when he says it's not an embarrassment and it is not a shame to suffer for righteousness sake. I don't need a show of hands. But how many of you have ever suffered because you said something and did something really stupid? Thank you for not raising your hand. Is there any honor or glory And experiencing shame and suffering because of our wickedness and our evil and because of our selfishness? No. But if you suffer because you listened carefully and you prayed carefully and you watched carefully and you submitted in humility and modesty, guess what? Blessed are you when you suffer for righteousness' sake. And so when it says that He, God, gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in visions and dreams. He is now going to be gifted in special gifts and special talents and special opportunities. That's what's happening. Think about what's happening to Daniel and his friends in our text. Because they honored God's principle and trusted God for the results, God rewarded them. 
It's not inappropriate. It's not inappropriate for you to say, look, God, I want to I want to submit myself to you and I want to remain faithful to you. And guess what? I'm going to suggest to you that if you will do exactly that, God's going to use you in remarkable ways. This is going to serve Daniel in the next several chapters until the end of the book. Remember, in the ancient world, it was believed that God's communicated to mortals through the agency of dreams. And so when it says that God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, it could very well be that Daniel and his friends are given this enormous reservoir of practical knowledge, compelling information and wisdom, so much so that it transforms this empire. In the ancient world, it was believed, like I said, that God's communicated to mortals through the agency of dreams. And in every culture and in every society, people want supernatural information about what's going to happen. Our culture wants it. We know that it's true. All you have to do is watch television for just a little while and you will see that people will go to extraordinary lengths to try and get from supernatural sources anything to help them understand what's going to happen in the future. But will they trust God? Will they trust the Bible? No. And in verse 18, it says, Now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse 19, then the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. The New Testament says that your gift will make room for you. That's exactly what would happen to Paul. He... When he gets saved, the Lord reveals to him, you will stand before rulers and kings and you will be able to give your testimony. I am amazed at what God has done in the lives of my friends that I grew up with. Certainly we're not Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But some of the people that I grew up with, like Greg Laurie and Skip Heitzig and Raul Reese, And Mike McIntosh, they stood before heads of state, emperors, and given their testimony. I got to speak to a former famous president, and when he met me, he said, you have really nice hair. I said, thank you, Mr. President. I asked him about his speaking engagements. He said, oh, I love, I love speaking all over the world. I love being able to raise money for worthy causes. And I asked him about his heart condition and his heart attack. He says, yeah, I did. I had, I had a heart attack, but I'm doing much better now. And I said to him, you know, Mr. President, I think that God has unfinished business with you. You have done many things, but I'm going to suggest to you that there's some unfinished things. And that God is still working with you and speaking to you and requiring from you submission, obedience. And look at what it says in verse 20. 
And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers on CNN, ABC, CBS, Fox News. All of the people in all of the realm with all of the information. By the way, the Babylonians borrowed heavily from the Egyptians in the area of dream analysis and dream and interpretation. The term translated astrologer or enchanter in the King James Version refers to the specialist in the area of exorcism, a kind of supernatural minister of defense to ward off threatening messages in omens and in dreams. And you're going to see how this is going to figure prominently as we continue in our study in the book of Daniel. This is a king, and he has a kingdom, and he cares about his future. As a matter of fact, again, one Bible writer says, the latter's skills, speaking of astrologers and magicians, included identifying the threatening sign, determining a course of action to avert the evil, performing apotropic rituals, and reciting incantations to turn aside the danger. Sickness was often included in the, the group of threatening signs, so the exorcist was counted among healthcare professionals of Babylonian society. The use of these terms, or these two terms, clarifies that Daniel's skill exceeded those of the foreign specialists, as well as the native practitioners. In other words, all of the frauds, all of the charlatans, all of the make-believers, all of the posers, all of the people with pretended knowledge and pretended wisdom, the children of Israel were ten times better. Do you want to know why? Because one true thing is better than ten lies. And the truth about God and the truth about the Bible and the truth about reality and the truth about sin and the truth about the supernatural is revealed in the Bible. And in verse 21, look what it says. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. You know what happens between verse 20 and verse 21? Ten years go by, and twenty years go by, and then thirty years go by, and then fifty years go by, and then sixty-five years go by. Daniel and the children of Judah and Jerusalem were chosen for their excellence. Now think carefully for just a moment. Nebuchadnezzar thought he had chosen them to highlight and promote Babylonian power and Babylonian culture and Babylonian supremacy. But the irony, God chose Daniel. God chose Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Your boss may think that he picked you because he wanted the best and the brightest for his company to make money for the firm or for the company. In the wicked and perverse circumstances of the world in which we live, is it possible that people are using you? Perhaps. They may think that they're using you. But ultimately, we sang it tonight, didn't we? I belong to God. I belong to you. I belong to you. Daniel will outlive Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel will outlive Nebuchadnezzar's successors. 
God promoted Daniel not to highlight Babylonian power or Babylonian culture or Babylonian supremacy, but to show the excellence of God, the wisdom of God, the sovereignty of God, the power of God. And God is willing to promote you so that you you can show the power of God and the excellence of God and the grace of God and the wisdom of God and the forgiveness of God in in your life. In the end, Daniel's heart is really never in Babylon. His heart is deeply connected to Jerusalem. We're going to find that out in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. And in the end, it doesn't really matter where you are. It doesn't even matter who you are. Do you know what matters most? That you're faithful. That you're faithful to God. It is not your reputation nor your situation, but the transformation, the change that's been accomplished by Jesus. And so what do we learn? Well, inner convictions can overcome outward pressures. I'm going to repeat that. Inner convictions can overtake and overwhelm and fight and resist outside pressure in direct proportion to the inner conviction that you have. And trust me, your conviction is going to be tested. And you're going to need to be able to say, no, I believe that the Bible is true. No, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. No, I believe that sin destroys, debilitates. Unless, of course, that outside power is God. Daniel makes up his mind in advance before the fragrant smells and the delicious delights from Nebuchadnezzar's all-you-can-eat buffet tempt and tantalize him. The place to resist drinking is not while you're sitting at the bar. The place to resist the Internet is not while you're sitting in front of the computer. By the way, God-honoring convictions... Yield God-honoring rewards. If we've learned anything, we've learned that. Remember what we've learned. Daniel has no power over his circumstances. He even has no power over the people in his life. He has no power over the people who have been placed in temporary authority over him. The only power that Daniel possesses, listen carefully, The only power that Daniel possesses is his power to believe and trust God and to believe and trust that his word is true. How much power do you have? Do you have the power to believe that? Daniel has the power to determine how he will react to his circumstances and those influences. Remember what's happening. Daniel's making a lifelong choice at this moment to be faithful, to be a faithful man of God, to be a man of integrity. He's making the personal choice to honor God. He's making the personal choice to honor God with his mind and with his heart and with his life. And guess what's going to happen? The whole world will be different. If this book tells us anything, it tells us that that Daniel 
is a man with purpose and a man with passion and a man who prays and a man who prophesies. Clearly, Daniel expected God to honor his heart's desire to honor him. By the way, people whose hearts are bent towards self-glory and not God's glory can never, ever have confidence that their heart's desire will be granted. But the opposite is true. For those who are bent on God's glory, for those who are bent on God's honor, they will never be disappointed. Again, Daniel Sinclair Ferguson writes in his commentary on Daniel, If we know what he has promised and trust in his power, we will have every reason to live in a spirit of expectancy that he will hear us and that he will answer us and that he will respond to the prayers of our hearts. Isn't that good? Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to live a life not only with purpose, but on purpose. Not only with passion, but because of passion. And because of prayer. And because of prophecy. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every person here. Lord, some of them have made excellent choices. And some have made not so excellent choices. Lord, some have made choices and it is it has resulted in a in a, in a, in a decade and in a, in a life of, of reward and and responsibility before God and you have blessed and Lord for that we're deeply deeply grateful. But for the purpose for the person Lord who who for whatever re- reason has resisted you and rebelled against you, Lord they haven't lived their life with purpose and they haven't lived their life with passion and they haven't lived their life with prayer. As a matter of fact, Lord, they've lived a life of compromise instead of embracing their deeply held convictions. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would remind them that you love them, that you care for them, that you're willing to receive them that they can act in a way that honors and pleases you now, that they can walk forward into the future, and that they will be able to stand the pressures on the outside because of the presence of conviction on the inside. Lord, you promised us that you would never leave us or forsake us. Lord, Jesus promised that he would live inside of us. Lord, Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness in Jesus. And that in Jesus and the presence of Jesus and the promise of Jesus, we can be men and women who love you and obey you and who can walk with conviction. Not the conviction that we're right, but rather... That Jesus Christ, when he reveals something about something that's right, we can, in submission and obedience, say, Heavenly Father, we know that what Jesus says is true and what your Bible reveals is true. Lord, I know that there's a person here who has been whispered in their ear that their life isn't important, that their life doesn't matter, and that the compromise doesn't matter that their life doesn't matter and their future doesn't matter. 
And Lord, I know that that's a lie from Satan. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would impress upon their heart that you love them. That, Lord, if they will silently speak those words to you, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry, Lord, that I've lived the life of a compromised Christian. Lord, I pray that you would fill me and reinforce those convictions that I've always known is true, that the Bible is true and that Jesus is true and the cross of Calvary liberates us from sin and that the resurrection of Jesus is the promise that there is a life and a love that I can walk in and experience every day of my life. Lord, I pray for that person. I pray that they would dare to be a Daniel, to live out their conviction, to love you with their whole heart, and to be used by you today and tomorrow and next week. That you would be glorified and that the kingdom would be expanded. In Jesus' name. Amen.